Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So it's an international break, but uh, no break, unfortunately, from the unremitting gloom, which is covering supporting or even watching Newcastle United at the moment after Saturday's 6-1 humping at Manchester City, uh, trying to uh, allow a smile to creep onto their lips here with me are Chris War and Woff, of course, God, I keep getting that wrong, and Andy Fowler, I'm Mark Douglas, Newcastle United editor, so let's start picking through the bones of uh, another pretty grim week. We'd, uh, we'd, had, we'd had a little bit of optimism from Chelsea, and for 45 minutes, Chris, we had it at Manchester City. Um, tell us what happened in those kind of 10, 15 minutes of utter madness that followed at the Etad. Well, it was it was really quite bizarre, because as you see, for the first 45 minutes, it was it was quite positive, well, for the first 40 minutes in particular, and Newcastle looked good. As we said, if they'd gone at Man City as they did, Man City at the moment look a bit weak defensively, and Mitrovic looked very good first half, Wijnaldum had his best 45 minutes for a good few weeks, and Newcastle were positive, there was confidence within them, and Man City rattled for a little bit. And you could see Newcastle growing with confidence at that point, but then as soon as they conceded the first one just before half-time, it was actually quite harrowing and worrying to watch because visibly the body language of the players changed and it started to drain out of them. And then the first five minutes of the second half, they conceded early and it just from then on became a complete shambles defensively. Mm. Players were all over the place, there was a lack of leadership, everyone was looking around expecting someone else to do things, gaps appeared everywhere. And really, if Man City wanted it to be, it could have been 8, 9 or 10. Mm. Andy, we've we've had this conversation before, haven't we? Uh, this is, I remember different names, different cast of characters around this table. Um, but we've been talking about this for it must be eighteen months now, really. That Newcastle have no backbone. Mm. Ten times now uh, they've conceded three or more and lost by three or more. Sorry, in the last twelve months. That's that's a, a very very worrying statistic. Yeah. Well, the, the the one thing we said before the game was that everything will be great until they concede. And then after that, we were saying, you know, it could be one, two, three. And that's exactly how it played out. And I think uh, Don Hutch in his column has said, you know, there's a distinct lack of leaders. And, and, and I, would, I would agree with him. The one man you expect, or we should expect to stand up, Colaccini, the captain, the man they've sort of brought back into the team, just goes missing. Mm. Um, you know, whether that's on the pitch. Afterwards, Daryl Yanmat seems to be the one that's, you know, really... And I, I would say he's been probably the leader for, mm. for, for them early on but there, you're right there, there's no backbone there doesn't seem a spine that you can call upon to say right lads you know somebody should be getting around there even at one all or even when it gets to 2-1 even 3-1 somebody said right we stop this now we don't let anything else if anything else we keep compact well, there's, I mean you say that Andy as well and, and, and I mean I've been kind of indulging in a bit of a bit of nostalgia this week I, I wrote something the other day about it, the lack of kind of football IQ uh, amongst the teams sometimes and, and you're saying there and, and this is exactly right I was sort of putting my mind back to the last time Newcastle kind of came back from a big game I think everybody remembers the Arsenal 4-4 that Newcastle had 
And I distinctly remember in that game, uh, and, and it, you know, the dark arts sometimes are something that you need to do particularly well in a football game. We've seen Diego Costa do it extremely well at Chelsea. Kevin Nolan and, and Joey Barton in that game um, were, I mean, you know, to be honest, they were quite horrible for the first half, uh, for the, in the first half. It got to about 4 0, and it was almost like, you know, stopping the game, disrupting Arsenal, getting into getting in amongst them as it is. And, and I don't really like that kind of that belief that, you know, you should, you should be doing that kind of thing. But it would be nice to see somebody kind of understand how you turn the game around because, uh, oh, look, Newcastle weren't, were never going to come back and, and draw four all on Saturday. But if we were sitting here reflecting on a 2-1 to Manchester City, a 3-1 to Manchester City even, but with that positive yeah. first 45 minutes, the agenda would be very different at Norwich. And I don't think, and, and this is a big problem, that Newcastle have not, for some reason, addressed. There's any football IQ in that Well, that, that, that's exactly it, because you go to Chelsea, you get a draw. You go to Man City, you lose, but you come away 2-1. Mitrovic scores his first goal. It's a little bit more, do you know what, on paper, you'd have, you'd have probably taken that. A point from those two games, fine. But what they've come away with, all that positive, everyone's forgotten the Chelsea, everyone's mm. forgotten even the first 45 minutes, because ultimately... We've then got two weeks now until the, you know the next game, and you're exactly right. You need that little bit of bitty break up, even scrappy. You you want somebody in there. And I remember a little while ago, a few people in the comments and, and on Twitter said, "You know what? Take a Barton or a Nolan or something like that." That's obviously not going to happen, but those kind of players who mm. understand the situation, understand the game. Is is there a, is there a Nolan or a, a modern day Nolan or a Barton out there that, that January could possibly bring around, Chris? I'm trying to rack my brains thinking about about one, somebody out there who could maybe do this kind of job. Mitrovic is a little bit yeah, of that. Yeah. But whether, I mean, can, have you got any names? Do you know? Can you think of anybody? Well, I, not that Newcastle would be able to prize them away anyway, and I'm not sure I necessarily agree, but the, the name who keeps getting talked about early on the season in terms of this old style, if you're going for an English sort of player, is Mark Noble. I, he's the sort mm. of player in Newcastle United, and he, I'm not, he's not going to leave West Ham, and Newcastle are never going to go for him anyway. But that's a sort of player, straight off the top of my head, I can't think of, I can't think of anyone necessarily yeah. that, that can go straight out and get there. But Mitrovic, I, I think I've seen enough of Mitrovic now to think he's just got he's just got something about him. You can see he's visibly trying to lift lift his teammates. He scored his first goal, yeah. got that monkey off his back. That was a, that was big positive. He had a goal wrongly disallowed as well. Yeah, on Saturday, yeah. which we start with. It's it's worth mentioning because two 0 it might have been slightly different. He did miss a couple of chances, but particularly in the Chelsea game, what was impressive was at the start of the second half when the Newcastle players started to sit deep. Mitrovic was the one trying to pull them forward. He's dragging his teammates on. Mm. You can see he. It, he just has something about him where he could be a personality. Now, some people will say, but you still need a British core, and possibly that's true, but I think Mitrovic is the sort of personality who, who yeah. can try and drag his Newcastle teammates forward with him. Yeah, I'm not actually sure that, that they need to be British. I mean, yeah. one name that, that, that springs to mind for me a little bit is Granit Xhaka yeah. at, at mm. Borussia Mönchengladbach, who, who's a real... I mean, he's a great player for a start. I mean, he's a very good player. I think he's been looked over a little bit in the past because people think he's a little bit one-paced. One um, but I mean, if you can cope in the Bundesliga, it's it's probably as quick over there as it is as it is here. And he's got. I mean, when you when you look through his kind of CV, he, you know he's not he's not afraid of of the challenges there. Whether Newcastle could go and get a player like that, I don't know. I mean, you know, he's going to be he would be very expensive. But you know, I know they're looking at him. I know that uh, it's something that they've looked at in the past. So so it's a possibility. But I mean, even you know, you're talking there. By the way, about Chelsea, you know, two 0 up with twenty thirty minutes to go, they could have lost that game. They did drop back, and, and my worry is not just, and, and this kind of segues into the next point, is not just on the pitch, 
but off the pitch as well was Steve McLaren. Should he be? Should he have been changing? I suppose he did try to at Chelsea by bringing Mitrovic off. But but Chris is the, you know, what happened at Manchester City? Like why was the no at four one or even five one? You know, three one, whatever. Why was the no sort of? Why was there no direction from the from the sideline? It was there nothing he could do. Well, that that is that is a serious concern. I mean, watching McLaren at that point as they're doing, which was hard to do while you're reporting on so many goals going in, but you could see McLaren and. It, there wasn't, a first, particularly for the first couple of, uh, sorry, the second and third goal, there was very little response in terms of the, the sort of him and Simpson just standing there. And then once the fourth and fifth went in, there was quite a lot of animation on the touchline shouting at the players. And it was after the sixth goal went in that two changes were made, Sissoko uh, and Gufran, both of whom started the second half awfully as the rest of the players got taken off. We'll come back to that. Um, sure. But it it just seemed like a man who and a coaching staff who were just watching a team unravel as I've done so regularly and just thinking we've tried basically everything already in mm. these eight games so far this season and we do not know how to... Once once the tide turns on your castle at the minute, there is it seems there is no way of stopping it. It just it just They just fall, absolutely a- fold. Any indication at all that the coaching staff maybe believe that they've been dealt a bit of a bomb, bomb steer? I mean, that, that, that would be my my worry. I mean, we've seen it with Dick Avocat at Sunderland. That this, that this coaching team are going to turn around at some point, as Pardew did, and say, don't like what we've been dealt here, which I think would be unfair because they've been given some good play. I think, there are, I think there are indications that, I think there are certainly rumblings underneath that there's frustrations um, within the coaching staff as to the sort of the structure of the club, but more that they've been, they have this group of players and they wanted to change quite a lot of them in the summer, mm. we've discussed in previous mm. podcasts, as players within the dressing room who they wanted rid of, who are now there and are still remain prominent members of the first team. Uh, Colacini, for example, who we know at the start of the summer, uh, Newcastle were originally looking to get rid of and suddenly he becomes, he becomes the captain again. Mm. And it's just a strange dynamic there whereby you've got a leadership group who... It's it's almost a disconnect between the coach and the on-field captain, who, as we've said, his leadership qualities are lacking. Seeming bit of a bit of a worry there. I mean, that, that, I think that's that's definitely a, a long-term problem. It's something to to that Newcastle are going to have to address at some point. They they kind of just put it off a little bit in the summer, um, which which is which is a worry. I mean, Andy, we've seen what's happened with Dick Avocar at Sunderland. Mm. Um, I think I don't think Newcastle are anywhere close to doing yeah. that at the moment. But um, yeah. How much longer? Five points now. What, what? When should we start to worry about where this season's going? Because I think they're in a relegation battle already. Yeah, I mean, strangely, it could be just blind naivety. I think they'll be all right. They are in a relegation battle simply because they're already off the pace. They're not down there on goal difference. They're down there by five, five, six points. Mm. Five points. Yeah, five, five, yeah. You know, they're in a battle for it. The derby's a big one. It always, it always is. But I remember we were saying a little while back, oh, you know, Avocat will end up going and then they'll bring in somebody after the international break and whatever and they'll probably win. But I'll tell you what, Newcastle needs something like that because they've got, what is it, Norwich? Um, Sunderland, Stoke. And, you know, these are three games that A, uh, you know, inverted chorus, must wins. But also, if they pick up one point from those three... Even six points from those three games, they could still be in the relegation zone, and they'll have had a handful of points um, after what he said. Judge him on was it ten, twelve games? Yeah, he said twelve. Yeah, twelve now, 12, and we've, we've got to go twelve. Yeah, so that's so, into Bournemouth, isn't it? Then, so yeah. you know, the, after that, you then think if nothing good comes from those games, and let's be honest, they are games that Newcastle need to be winning. If nothing comes from them, then there could be serious you know, ramifications for it because. 
you know, it, McLaren ended his season badly. He's come in. I do think they've had decent players, but just on a piece now saying that actually the midfield's probably been packed a little bit too full. They, they, they're more, they need more defensive cover and another striker. But the players have brought in haven't been bad. Mm. Um, but on the field, something something is not going is not going right, and that for me has to come in part down to the management. Well, we've we've uh, we've been running a, a poll on the on the website for a while now, saying who do you blame, mm. who do you blame for Newcastle's Newcastle's issues, who do you, who do you think is a problem? And, and I and I personally, obviously, I I think we've got to look at it uh, a little bit of a longer term problem here because Steve McLaren, you know, yeah. we'll come back to him in a minute. It, it, you know, there's there's definitely question marks to ask about him, but I do think that Lee Charnley has to has to look at you know he's been there now for over a, over a year. He's been he's been managing director for well, he's been close close to a year now. And uh, the big problem that I think, and, and what has happened at Newcastle United in the last year or so, I mean, things have got a little bit better off the pitch. We can't, we can't sort of deny that, that, you know, they communicate a little bit better. It's still a very cold club. It's still a club that has not got the support of, of the city, it doesn't feel like. But bigger than that, there's this huge problem, and I, and I can't understand for the life of me why it hasn't been addressed, of Newcastle not recruiting the kind of players who are going to challenge their what's what's going on around them and and I think the problem is that Newcastle have uh, what they did in the summer was they decided that we'll throw 50 million pounds at it and bring in better kinds of players but the same type of players that we've gone for that now to me looks absolutely utterly pointless and ridiculous like why throw good money after bad really if you're if you're Lee Charnley which is which looks like which is exactly what it looks like at the moment because Newcastle United don't throw £50 million around lightly. They haven't done it for such a long time. And what I, what I worry about is that Newcastle United are so convinced because we keep hearing patience, we keep hearing the word, give us time, give us progress. I mean, that could be on the club badge it's been told to us so many times. I mean, it, and, I, and I personally, I'm not a fan of Newcastle United. I'm sick of hearing it. I don't, you know, I, I don't understand why Newcastle United seemingly are kind of telling their players to, and, and sorry, telling their fans to keep waiting for some miraculous transformation that's going to happen. It didn't happen under Alan Pardew. It's not going to happen under Steve McLaren. Things are going to have to change fundamentally and structurally at Newcastle United if they're going to get out of it. And I think they probably will get out of the relegation zone this year because they've been they've bought some decent players and they probably will change the manager if things don't go particularly well and they'll get a short upturn in it. But how much longer can we ignore the lessons in front of us here? I mean, these aren't like minor things that are happening for Newcastle United. This is time and time and time again. And, and I've really felt for the fans who went to Manchester City on, on Saturday because I saw match of the day and the, and the footage of the fans uh, going. And I just, I actually felt sorry for them. I thought, you know, look, I understand that it's part of us as football fans. We, we don't expect teams to win. But I did think, you know, what kind of performance are these people, you know, the fans getting? You know, they haven't... I can't remember the last... I mean, West Ham, the final day of the season. West Ham were on the beach. Let's be perfectly yeah. honest. Chelsea for about 45 minutes. Man United this year. I mean, God, they could have been buried in the first 20 minutes been, in that yeah. game. Let's be perfectly honest. Southampton, first game of the season, looked good. That's, that's it for the year. Chris, right. Tell me, Steve McLaren. So we've talked about Lee Charney. Well, we, I mean... You talk a little bit about Lee Charney, but Steve McLaren, we asked for questions. Chris Cheatham and Richard Smith, both on Twitter, asked how many games has Steve McLaren got left? Is that a valid question? Is it, is it, is it jumping on it too soon? Or is it a valid question? And what do you think? 
I think it is a valid question simply of the way that football is nowadays, regardless of whether you say Newcastle try to do things differently. This is, and they don't have a history of sacking that man, recent, very recent history of sacking people when it gets tough. But Newcastle are bottom of the Premier League. They haven't won a game. They're five points adrift already. Anyone's position, his position has to be mm. close to untenable. If it goes, if it goes three or four more games, and Newcastle still haven't won, the next, as we've said, the next six games really are the sort of games Newcastle have to be winning because they're the sort of teams in who will likely be in around the relegation zone towards mm. the end of out, the season. Out of the league cup, yeah, out, out of the league, league cup yeah, yeah. as well. Yeah. Well, it's interesting as well because um, just, just sorry, um, Sunderland have obviously changed managers already. Mm. We have uh, another paper in the Midlands, the Birmingham Mail, and the rumours, the little bits that we hear from there are that Tim Sherwood might be under a little bit of pressure. So it would be odd, really. And I mean, it's by the way, it's some achievement for Newcastle United to be bottom, uh, yeah. bottom behind those two because Sunderland have been dreadful. And Villa, I mean, God, they have just, you know, they've been woeful as well. How many games? How many games do you give him? I think that if... In the next three or four games, if there isn't at least one win in in there, I think they probably need to get from the next four games between six and eight points at least. If they don't get that, then I think I think the trigger will be pulled eventually because you can't it can't go on for too long. Because if say if they only picked up another two points for the next five four or five games, then at that point there could be seven eight points mm-hmm. adrift, and then you get into the QPR situation a couple of years ago where they waited too long to yeah. change things. Yeah. yeah. Regardless of where you say, oh, well, it'll only be the start of November, it, it, there's a losing culture at this football club that has been there for longer than McLaren. It's not just McLaren, it was there and uh, towards the end of, uh, well, for the last year of Pardew's tenure, it was there throughout the whole of Carver's tenure, and it's gone in now. So this is not just a short-term problem either, so it's not just someone else is going to come in and suddenly miraculously change it, because mm. that was what was going to happen under McLaren, and it hasn't happened. So... They can't let it go on too long because for someone to turn it around, it is going to take time. But they're just—it's—it's it's the manner of the defeat in the last few weeks. It was the manner of the defeat against Sheffield Wednesday. It was the manner of the capitulation in the second half mm. of Sheffield Wednesday that suggests that things are still not quite right, and McLaren hasn't got a grasp on it. So therefore, they might have to look again at it. Yeah. And I feel—I feel sorry for for Steve McLaren because there are clearly, um, you know, just as as with Alan Pardew as well. I, you know, I felt sometimes like he was kind of working a little bit with. Um, in a situation that he didn't really, you know, he didn't really feel necessarily comfortable. I think Steve McLaren hasn't got everything he wanted. But as for Alan Pardew, I don't really feel sorry for him in a way because Steve McLaren got, you know, he, he left Derby. Um, I think he was sacked. I think that's, mm, I think that's fair. I, I can't exactly remember. But I think he was sacked for not doing a job in the Championship and then walked into arguably what yeah. is one of the biggest jobs in the in the Premier League. Um, a job that, by the way, Frank De Boer has kind of talked again. He wanted. There was other people who wanted it as well. They picked Steve McLaren because they felt he was a good fit for what they wanted to do, which was get more out of the players they would inherit, who they felt Alan Pardew would sometimes like, not, not you know, he didn't want them. And, and Steve McLaren hasn't done that yet. And I do feel sorry because we are ridiculously short-termist in football now and it probably is, has been a big problem at Newcastle recently. But sometimes there's no... Like you said, I think QPR is a really good example. You know, you, if you leave it too long... And, and Newcastle got three points out of uh, 24 this season... Andy, I mean, well, you know, <laughs> it, you know, it comes back to the other man we mentioned, which is Lee Charlie. You know, they held out for they held out for uh, you know they stayed with Carver. They wanted to get their man in in uh, in Steve McLaren. So you know, if this doesn't if this doesn't go right for them, you know, how long does Lee Charlie have? I, I, I think you know he's under a massive amount. Of, he must be under a massive mm. amount of pressure. Um, you know, but I, I, I agree with Chris. I think it'd be interesting to see come back after the international break. 
They've got what is it? Norwich, Sunderland, Sunderland. Sunderland let's not forget they got Stoke, Stoke, West Brom. You know, if they don't get good results from those games, you deserve you deserve to go because by that point, if you've not picked up of those four games, if you've not picked up eight points, two wins, a couple of draws, or a couple of wins, or whatever, then they are going to be sat on what around eight points ish after about twelve games, maybe a bit more. You know. It, it's getting to that point where it's. I, I like McLaren. I've spoken to him. He's a nice guy. I, I do think he's been dealt a little bit of a bum deal. But ultimately, the club needs to get out. And, and that's the other thing. Mike Ashley will think, do you know what? I'm either going to have to spend in January or if they go down, it's, you know, the, the money is the, the massive drop off when we've spoken about it before. So I think the next four or five games, we know, the res, we know it's been tough. We know the results of the performances and the, and the games have been tough, but it's the manner in which they've lost, that has really irked people. You go to go to Man City, they lose 2-1, you say, fair enough, all right, not ideal, we're still down there, but you know what, we can move forward. Now, a few injuries, they've gone away, the international break, McLaren's not going to have his player, some of his players for a little while, you know, it's going to be really tough, and it just heaps the pressure, and if you're Norwich, if you're Sunderland, if you're Stoke, whoever, they're looking and going, these are on the ropes, we know we get one ahead or we keep it tight that we're in a really, really good shot. That Norwich game is going to be, it's going to be edgy, Chris. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, the Watford one was the one where we said, this is going to be tough because there's a lot of pressure on them and Newcastle didn't cope with that pressure. It's probably, you know, ramp up a little bit more even for Norwich now and, and you know, Newcastle haven't really shown the intelligence or the or the, the wherewithal really to break teams down like that. Now, it could go, could go really well, but I mean, there's going to be a lot of pressure on them in that game. Well, it's going to be a serious amount of pressure. And the, McLaren said after the game on Saturday that he wants to see fighters from his dressing room and he believes there's fighters in there. Now, the evidence so far would suggest there isn't and he's going to have to to try and mm-hmm. get a performance from them. But I think the concern would be, from the point of view of looking at McLaren, he's never really been in this situation before. He's never really himself had to fight against relegation. And it, it is a difficult pressure, a different pressure than anything he's done before. It's different to if you're in mid-table or if you're going challenging for league titles as he has done uh, in Holland and, and wherever else and whether he has the mentality to be able to, to push that across to his players and sort of take the pressure off them a little bit and see is it how big a game it is and just calm them down it, it'll be interesting to see because it, they, I mean it is going to be an edgy St James's Park and rightly sort them in it when the team's well, playing as it is and when was the last time he, he, he actually won a, won a, uh, a league fixture I mean you know he's, I think there's one since February is it or something? something like that yeah, yeah. I think he's Beaten. won one in 24 like, I mean that's that's the worry isn't it I, I've got to be honest like I mean you know he, he, what what the managers say I think we're kind of in a and it's probably not the, the kind of thing that, that, that you should say really when you're uh, when you're in the business of, uh, of of going through press conferences and things I think we're kind of as a Newcastle United reporters we're in a little bit of a post press conference post manager quote era because we've heard so much from three successive managers now John Carver as well McLaren saying stuff Pardew saying stuff a, I don't think they say what they actually think because they can't, because it's just, you know, I mean, that is, to be perfectly honest, uh, you know, something that happens in all walks of life. Although you can talk to a, with a certain degree of honesty mm. about a lot of things, you know, I think, I think you know, you, we read in between the lines with Newcastle managers a lot. Secondly, I don't think what they say ever happens, which is a, which is a problem, you know, and, and I don't think, you know, and I think that, you know, I feel sorry for them because they're contractually obliged to give a press conference every week and we, we want to hear what they've got to say and it's valuable what they say as well. But I don't think any Newcastle fans actually listen to what they say now, apart from when they say something that's like so remarkably out of 
context with, with uh, sorry, out of out of sort of line with what's actually going on out there, that, that then people kind of react, which was what happened with John Carver. I think Newcastle fans and Newcastle reporters probably and everybody to do with the football club just needs to see something actually happen on the pitch because it's been such a long time that it that, that that's happened that we've had nothing to really you know get our teeth into from managers quotes. So when he says you know I want to see fighters in the dressing room, well you know don't we all? But yeah. it's your job to actually do something about it. And you know I think McLaren's actually coped pretty well really in terms of, in terms of what he said. He's just kept very calm and he's seen the mistakes that John Carver made in terms of getting very emotional about it. And he's just flat batted everything. But, you know, this could go down as one of the most disastrous kind of periods in Newcastle's history. Though It's already, in, on, uh, it's already on its way to becoming the worst calendar year of the club's history. So, I mean, that's a, that's a real, real worry. Um, OK, right. We've been very, very negative so far. Let's spend the last five minutes being a bit more positive. Um, Chris, give us something to hang our hats on for the next chunk of games into kind of December. Alexander Mitrovic would be the, the positive I would I would take out of it. After say the first half at Man City, I also thought, uh, as I said earlier, Wijnaldum played very, very mm. well. But Alexander Mitrovic, as we've said, he looks like he has something about him. He, he scored that first goal, took it extremely well. It was behind him and he managed to arch his back and, and get a header in. And he, he did look like he was, he was worrying the Man City back four. He also played very well against Chelsea, held the ball up. And I think they do actually have a focal point, someone who can score goals, someone who does give them a bit more balance and shape. Obviously, that shape disappeared in the second half of Man City. But uh, for, they didn't have that the first the, the games where they were playing Papi Cissé. It didn't, it didn't look right at all with him up top. If they can keep Mitrovic fit and if they can keep him on the pitch, obviously, uh, I think that he, he will score goals. And obviously, that's what you need if, if you're down in that sort of the... And I think he also helps out defensively, actually, in, in from set pieces because Newcastle don't have that many tall mm. players, and he's very good in the air. So I'd say Alexander Mitrovic for me is the one player at the minute who I think you could hang on and say this this guy could actually maybe just pull you out of there. Mm. Andy, come on, give us something. Yeah. To to uh, to really. Well, no, I, I, you've you, you've got to go. You've got to go, Mitrovic. I think if we can see over this next sort of three four game spell, the Mitrovic that we've seen at Chelsea, that we've seen at Man City. Do you know what he's going to cause? He's going to cause a lot of problems, and he will be that big focal point. And if he's likes of Wijnaldum, who again I think has been fairly good uh, since coming in, you've then got a couple of players through the middle. That actually, do you know what? For going forward, that can be all right. Few def- few injury worries, but Yama. No, we've been positive. We have been positive, but what I'm saying is, if you can here. get if you can get Yama, get him back for he's been good. I mean. Offensively, they're looking to get the fullbacks down the wings. And Barbu, very raw. Let's not get too carried away with it. But again, what a little bit of spark, a little bit of something else that you've gone. Do you know what? This kid looks looks quite good. So Mitrovic is your main man. Mitrovic is your main man. That do you know what? If he if he stays fit, if he stays on the pitch, and he plays like Man City and at Chelsea, he's going to cause all those teams. He's proven it against. Chelsea, who all right, aren't the Chelsea of last year, but Man City, even the Man United game, he's proven what he can do. He's proven he had a bit of a hot streak, but if he can do that, he'll torture uh, some of those those other teams, um, and he really could drag them kicking and screaming uh, through the next couple of games. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I think Mitrovic and, and Iosi Perez's partnership is probably what, what I would say, but I, I actually think that. Um, Taking a, a sort of looking at the bigger picture, Newcastle are not as bad as they were last year. The, the no. results might not as might not suggest it yet. Um, I 
I think there was a different level of incompetence at Newcastle at the end of last season, and you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to dredge up. You know, this is old, positive old news. This is positive. Yeah, no, I don't want to dredge up, dredge up what was happening last year, but but I just felt like they didn't have the, the squad at all. They didn't have any of the, they didn't have anything really last year, and it was it was a real real shame um, how it went. You know, the, the squad wasn't good enough. I don't actually think I think there's good enough players in that squad that maybe when things start going for them, they can they can get enough points to at least stay in touch with the other teams down there in, in into January when there's some really big decisions to be made there. Um, I, I think Mitch Rich looks good. Bember, I quite like the look of, although you know there was a bit of a mistake in him on um, on Saturday. I like Van Alden, get him in the right place, and he'll score goals. Um, and you know, I still think there's little bit, there's little bits and pieces to come here and there. You know, I, I do think they'll improve. You know, Yamat's all right as well. It's just a different set of problems, yeah. really, from what they had last year. And um, you know, but but the, you know, the problem is if Newcastle find a solution to those, they maybe get a lucky win against Norwich. Go into Sunderland and and you know and play better than they did then. Then you know I think there maybe is a little bit of optimism there. I don't think they're as bad as they were last year. I don't think they're the third, they're among the three worst teams in the Premier League based on you know how they've played against the better teams in the league. But now they've got shut out against Norwich, haven't they as well? And that's the uh, that's the really uh, really really big thing. I mean, finally, last last word, Musa um, Zizoko. Yeah, bring bring him up um, because. There's, uh, you know, he's going away with France and probably going to be, uh, a, a, you know, linchpin really of of what who are a team that are probably going to be very close to winning Euro 2016 because they they do look really really good. Um, how do they get him playing, Chris? There just seems to be motivation there. They just not for Newcastle. Whether it is just he's a big occasion player, I, it it's it, it baffles me because regularly you just think this bloke is he's he's big he's powerful. He does have, in terms of a physical presence, the look of a Patrick Vieira or um, a Yaya Toure, whatever you're going to say. He is that big, powerful midfielder who can drive forward, but he just doesn't. He, he just seems to go missing on occasions. Man City first off, he actually looked quite good for, for periods because he's not really not really a right winger. I don't think he should be playing out there, but it it just seems that he just seems to have this idea that. I'm at Newcastle for now. I will go to this big Champions League club. When he goes to France, I think he just rises to big occasion. He's around these big players mm. and he enjoys playing with them. But in Newcastle, it's just a case of, oh, I just have to turn up every week mm. and I'm going to be the best player. But it isn't like that, particularly in a team that are struggling. And I just think he just lacks motivation. Yeah. Mm. And the, um, I, I, I had a little bit of uh, feedback on social media. So maybe we're a little bit harsh on Musa Soko sometimes. I'm not not sure that that's a general view but but I mean you know maybe, maybe no, this intrigue I, I I like Sissoko in terms of what in terms of the player that I think he should be big powerful strong Chelsea debut we all look back to that and uh, you know how good he was then he just doesn't turn up every week in week out and that's for me, and this is the strange thing if you're a player that let's say is looking to move on is looking to get a, a big move Surely you want to be turning up, even if your team's doing badly. You want to be the standout man so you can say, listen, I've done everything I can and the team's not performing. And then he gets the move. Fine. But the problem is he doesn't. He doesn't do that. He doesn't contribute enough, I don't think, in games. And I, I, would, love, I would love to see him stay. I would love to see him do well because I do like him as a player. But he just doesn't. And my worry is he then goes to France. He's then with all his mates. And it's a lot of the, some really big players, some really big clubs there. And I think it's just... He, he, he sort of, you know, doesn't really talk about Newcastle. You know, gives a lot of interviews, which again is baffling. Um, 
And really, you look and say, well, how does he get into that France team? But then when he goes, he turns up. Um, he just he doesn't perform consistently enough for his club. And for me, that's how you get big moves mm. uh, away. You know, he could go to Euro 2016 and he could be the player of the tournament. Um, that then would just be more of a frustration to Newcastle players. Mm. Who it's could... doubtful that with, with some of the yeah. players who are probably going to play at Euro 2016. Yeah, but, but what, what I mean is it's the, it's the fact that he could go and have a great tournament. But that would be even more of a frustration mm. for fans that don't see him. They don't see enough of the Musa Sissoko that we have seen glimpses of. Don't forget, John Joe Shelby will probably be going to Euro 2016. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, I, I think that it's a, it's a, it's a, a omni, it's a continual problem, isn't it, for Newcastle this, this Sissoko thing? And I think that was the third. We all we all kind of have talked a few times about you know Newcastle not you know not making the decision with Colaccini, not making the decision with Cisse. I actually think they made a very conscious decision at the start mm. of the summer not to sell Musa Sissoko to to make it very clear that they didn't want to sell him. Probably they should have taken a decent whack for him and uh, and, and recycled that money. Um, maybe an argument they should have done that with a couple of the others as well. But uh, that'll be, I'm sure, fodder for uh, future podcasts. In the meantime, we've just got to hope that Newcastle get through the, the international break with no more injuries and come back and really and really hit it. But we'll be back before the weekend and maybe next week as well with another uh, Everything is Black and White podcast. I think we're going to do a, a special on the Academy uh, running into the weekend because we've got a few pieces on the Academy and some bright prospects amongst Newcastle's, um, amongst Newcastle's younger players. So we'll be back with a bit of a special uh, before the weekend. Um, but signing off now, uh, having thoroughly depressed ourselves, it's me, Chris and Andy. Thank you for listening. Listening.